Business Rap. Business Rap of the Day on Metro FM Talk with Ayabonga Klawe. 17 minutes it is after 7 p.m. So Kabila's Balin and uh, we kick things off uh, taking a look at the latest in the world of money and power. My guest this evening is a market analyst, uh, Melita Ngalongulu. Good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Ayabonga. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're well. Hello. Hello. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. I want us to maybe start off just, uh, I guess, uh, with that cabinet approval, uh, Melita, that we Mm. saw coming through uh, over the last uh, 28, uh, well, 24 to 48 hours or so, depending on when the decision was made and when it was announced. Uh, But Mm. uh, yeah, cabinet approving new carbon targets for companies. And uh, it seems ESCOM, which has received some reprieve over the last while in terms of some of the agreements or or the implications of uh, climate agreements, be it Paris in 2015 and many others. It seems this time around, uh, yeah, has no longer got any shade in which to hide. Yeah, that's true. Um, I suppose, Ayabonga, it's because of the 131 million billion rand funding that it actually received from COP26 earlier this month to assist with the transition to renewable sources of energy. So, um, ESCOM's rules have, have not meant have not made um, the means that the cow utility rather has been afforded exemptions from policies aimed at aimed at reducing um, emissions as I told Parliament that it will only receive um, achieve about 57% compliance if I remember correctly with South Africa's minimum emission standards on air quality in four years. So the utility, utility is however um, utility however plans to have a net zero carbon emissions from its plants by the year 2050. Um, but I think that the main issue here I, I wonder, is the policy policing of this, um, how, uh, how is our government actually going to um, ensure that not just ESCOM, but companies as well um, adhere to these um, new um, policies which they're going to be implementing? Um, like, how are they going to, how is government going to police high-emitting companies to adapt to assigned amounts of greenhouse gas emissions as five-year um, the, as according to the five-year commitment allocation. Mm. Because with the state of the economy um, having companies adapt, will be very um, costly for them. It will be additional cost for them. Um, however, I suppose it's because of COP26, so we just have to see basically how it is that they're going to be handling the situation. And, and, and you know, when we think about this um, and whether or not different sectors of the economy, I mean, ESCOM is a big one because all of us are reliant in, on them in some shape or form. But uh, mm. if you think about some of the sectors that are critical to all of the things that we see around us, you know, uh, be it the steel mm. guys, be it the plastics and the polymers that come through from Sasol, uh, many of those are, you know, I guess, large emitting processes of production that give rise to all of these things. Um, I mean... From your assessment, I mean, how how ready is the South African real economy to shoulder uh, the impacts of some of the polluting activities and now, of course, uh, these new carbon targets and uh, the uh, obligations that come with them? Mm, that's very true. I, I actually just wonder as well. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't think that the South African government and and economy is actually ready um, to get rid of these um, pollutions, as you put them, because. Um, the, our economy is not strong enough, firstly, and we're still reeling from the COVID-19 um, 
impact, which we have actually seen in the past year. So it's actually impossible. But also, it's not just South Africa that actually has a problem with this. It's a global, it's actually a global problem. You know, um, as you know, um, as you know, the, the whole movement has actually been quite slow um, globally. So it's going to be quite an interesting one. I have mentioned earlier to actually Melita, I guess if we were to shift slightly away from uh, uh, that particular one and uh, take a look at some of the numbers that came through here from uh, the Mr. Price group and I uh, found found them very, very interesting because uh, these are the guys over the last 52 weeks or so have had a lot of uh, uh, news for us. Um, and of course, they put out um, you know uh, some uh, interim numbers here for the last 26 weeks ending 2 October and uh, also mm. declaring an interim dividend there of 200 282.4 cents uh, or a payout of just over 60% of their earnings. Um, what do you make, I guess, of um, one, how they view some of the new channels, which, uh, you know, 10 years ago, uh, you weren't speaking of a Mr. Price that had an online sales channel or on any mm-hmm. meaningful online presence. And uh, now at a point where, you know, that is contributing uh, just shy of 3% of uh, all retail sales. Yes, a very low number, but uh, if you compare it to what was happening before 2019, it is uh, certainly no mean feat. Well, Aaron, we've actually seen quite a good improvement there. I must say some good news for from the retailer. Its online sales actually more than doubled compared to last year. And this is mainly because, obviously, of the shift that we are actually seeing with most retailers at this point because mm-hmm. of the, of the COVID, of COVID-19. Um, people are actually shopping from home and this has been, this trend has actually been happening for the past year. And it's actually just speeded up things when it comes to online shopping in South Africa because for years, many people um, were not quite sure or felt comfortable actually shopping online they prefer walking into those shopping centers shop, shopping centers and malls but we actually have seen um the foot, foot the footprint actually decrease when it comes to shopping malls and as we've seen with the results that actually came out recently from the property um groups so the, uh, this is just it's just i think it just signifies and it, it emphasizes the trend in which um the retail sector is actually moving in now you know people can just buy clothing and in any form of item that they actually want just from um, from their phones and also from, you know, their laptops and the comfort of their own homes and still feel secure, you know, that they're actually not going to be infected with um, COVID-19. And, and I mean, just when you look at this particular business, the, the two new acquisitions, Yappy Chef and, of course, mm. uh, discount retailer uh, Mr. Power, or I guess uh, Power Fashion, sorry, not Mr. Power, yes. Mr. Price, yes. Power, uh, Power Fashion. Um, w- when you look at their addition, I guess, to the offering of uh, Mr. Price, I mean, I get with Yappy Chef that that's, uh, you know, uh, a new channel into the smartphones and I guess share of pockets of uh, many digital savvy consumers. But certainly that power play is, uh, if you excuse the pun, is certainly going to be, I guess, something that they're going to be expecting a considerable amount of uh, a value and uh, even a cash generation from going forward. Yeah, that's true. And also just brings in another thing, uh, market. Um, so basically, which is basically a high-end market. But you know, those people that just like to have those nice, expensive um, appliances in their home. So uh, that, that's just a shift also in the terms of the market that it's actually trying to get. So what's also interesting, um, I have about the results is that um, 
it's, they've also seemed to have gained a lot of market share. And I suppose it's because people are cash-strapped at this point. And they, or you can tell even by the fact that they're even looking to just um, increasing the number of their stores at this point. So with the additions of Yapichev, it just goes to show that they're not only just targeting now like your high-end market as well and your middle class, but they're just trying to expand themselves so that the market could actually increase and which means more profits for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I guess the the other metric that I found quite interesting in uh, this particular set of numbers is what was happening on that expenditure side of things. Uh, mm. I mean, they saw total expenses growing by just shy of 20%. And, uh, you know, if they exclude some of the uh, costs that were associated with that acquisition, uh, expenses mm. only really growing just by shy of 7%. Um, and um, I guess, you know, the more you go through digital channels, the more you no longer have to shoulder some of the more brick-and-mortar operational expenses and overheads, mm. uh, which uh, certainly might make v- many, many a shareholder happy. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, um, like I had said earlier, as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, it's just shying away, basically, from the brick-and-mortar, as you mentioned, you know, because it, it, it takes away a lot of the expenses, which they actually don't need at this point. But also it does add on those added expenses mm. for maybe more warehouses, because yes. if that means if people are buying more online now, it means that they need more space to actually store the, the, the products, So, which is... It's 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 good news for shareholders, mm-hmm. I must say, because that means that the company is growing and it's growing quite well. Because even after they had taken they released their results earlier today, you actually and even they closing um, share price, so they actually just went up by close to four percent. Mm-hmm. So which means that even shareholders were quite satisfied with the with the outcomes of yeah, the results. Yeah. Hundred and eleven Mr. Price stores hard hit by the July incidents mm-hmm. of social unrest, uh, and uh, they've also managed, I guess. In response to that, uh, to uh, get just shy of uh, 330 million in insurance payments for mm-hmm. that, interim insurance payments from Sazria, and also an interim business interruption claim that was paid out uh, this month, now in November. But uh, I mean, yeah, they continue to assess their losses. And I'm sitting here asking myself, I mean, July seems, uh, what, three or four months ago? You don't assess why three or four months ago? In the SSI, basically, is uh, the the damage which has actually been done um, by the, the civil unrest. Still. So, uh, yeah. So, um, just they, they basically, the July unrest actually cost the group about 320 million rand um, in lost sales. Mm. So, that's what it is that they're actually um, sourcing out, um, I mean, assessing. So, they're just looking at um, basically moving forward now, how many stores it is that they still need to be replaced and um, can they still um, survive um, following the civil unrest? So it is actually quite a lot of damage which it has done to retailers, not just um, Mr. Price, but even a, a, another retailer in the industry which released its results last last week. Tepco, for example, had also mentioned that it had suffered a lot because of the civil unrest, but it's still observing on whether or not to continue investing even in the country. So I, I suppose that is what they mean by all of that assessment, whether to continue investing in the country because of the political climate, where, you know, political uncertainty, which we see in the country, and also the economic uncertainty, which we see. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very interesting numbers or set of numbers put out there, and uh, I guess also a uh, nearly 3% rise uh, they saw uh, in uh, market share or improvements there. Mm. Well, not nearly 3%, I mean, uh, 210 basis points or 2.1%. 
improvement in mm. uh, their market share across some of their segments there. Uh, so all in all, I guess a good showing there for the Durban headquartered uh, Mr. Price. Uh, but let's now shift our attention out to uh, West Africa, Nigeria. Now, I must say, I mean, I remember, oof, must have been seven or eight years ago, uh, this debate had flared up again of, you know, uh, I guess reducing or doing away entirely with fuel subsidies in uh, Africa's most populous nation. And uh, it seems now that uh, I guess uh, all of these plans and designs that have been in the offing for about three decades or so are coming closer to fruition. But um, uh, the cost of transitioning away from these fuel subsidies might mean uh, 2.4 trillion naira a year or just uh, under 6 billion US dollars um, in cash payments to uh, poor households in order, I guess, uh, to uh, mute the impact of doing away with some of these subsidies. Mm. But I actually think when it comes to the story, um, we need to ask ourselves, would you rather receive cash or would you rather receive a subsidy for anything? So I think that any household will actually rather receive um, hardcore cash with, which they can actually use. Mm. And I think that, mm, so I, I think that even like, you know, with the fuel subsidy removal in Nigeria, um, Groups and group society, civil societies rather, are actually quite happy um, that this is happening. And it, I think this is exactly what the, the economy actually needs because though the economy might be um, stronger, but strong, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best in the, in the country, I mean, globally. So I, I think this is more of a political decision more than anything else. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it happens in a context where there's presidential elections that are coming up real soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, the, it comes in a, another context where many countries are trying this cash transfer system. Um, and I don't know, I mean, it's quite ironic for, for a massive producer of oil in that way uh, to have used fuel and electricity subsidies for as long as it has. Um, and mm-hmm. now effectively, I guess, looking for other ways to stimulate demand in the Nigerian economy outside of uh, the subsidies that it has found very, very expensive. Um, is this something else that I guess might create its own path dependence and uh, a few years down the line, you know, the Nigerian government might say, well, yeah, even this is becoming expensive. Mm. I think it's more to actually just benefit the poorer, the poorer communities in Nigeria more than the wealthy ones, you know, because it's not everyone that can actually afford these high petrol prices. Um, so I, I suppose that's why. Yeah, it's uh, one of those, I guess, uh, that are always very, very interesting to consider. Maybe just the last one before we let uh, this particular story go. Uh, With where we see oil prices, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm always scared when I hear there's a new variant, there's a new mutation on uh, what that might potentially mean for, uh, you know, global commodity prices, which have certainly uh, benefited South Africa somewhat, and uh, for uh, oil-producing nations like Angola and Nigeria, the oil price, its recovery has also benefited many of those nations, now hovering at around $82 uh, or so a barrel. And uh, we saw at the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic, even prices of 29 rand a barrel, 30, rand, uh, well, 30 US dollars a barrel, because they don't quote it in rands. Mm. So I suppose we, we still going to see um, oil prices actually increase at this point. Um, and it's mainly because of the fears that we actually saw last year as well when, um, you know, more people stayed at home, traveling was actually limited. So we might start to see the oil price actually um, 
increase at some point. But then I suppose I am that um, it's not even, it's, it's about supply of goods and services at this point. I think that's the main issue, um, and that's why we might actually start to see these increases, increases actually continue. But that, I suppose, because last year, remember, we had an oversupply of, of, of oh, oil yeah. and all those oil that have been everything went down. But I suppose the economy of the industry itself is still really the effects and the impacts of that. Yeah, it's one of those that uh, we're going to have to be watching quite closely there. But, um, yeah, tell me about this Reddit group. You know, the last time we spoke about a Reddit group, a lot of people caught fire in the markets. And uh, it seems now this particular Reddit group is calling for a consumer boycott of Amazon.com Inc. on the eve of Black Friday. Yeah. I guess I Amazon is the world's largest retailer. And... This movement is basically boycott Amazon um, a day before um, a Black Friday. I think it's quite bizarre, and I, I, I'm not sure if I'm actually a supporter of it or not, but then um, it is receiving quite a lot of traction um, because the group is among the top 15 fastest-growing forums actually on Reddit at this point. So what the group, um, what, what the boycott is all about is boycotting, it's all about boycotting um, Amazon, um, Amazon because of, um, how do I put it, um, because of unsafe working conditions, mm. you know. Yeah, so that's the main issue, issue here. So... The anti-work ideas and uh, basically that are there, and they just want um, want personal help with them. You know, they just want personal help within the company. They think that they should do better and treat its employees much better. And but it's all about corporate greed, the failures of capitalism. Um, you know, and that's what it's all about. So I suppose I, I think I think I earlier I actually seen something um, similar happening in Cape Town as well. So it doesn't. Doesn't seem like it's only just um, happening um, um, globally and um, internationally. Things to have come home as well. People are like, um, Amazon should be boycotted. Boycott. People should not buy from them. Look, I mean, I think you know anybody who's going to try and attack any um, you know major player like this during a consumption frenzy like Black Friday or even Christmas. Uh, is uh, certainly going to get many of them riled up. But uh, also, if they are successful, uh, it's going to make many, many a shareholder, a management team, and uh, I guess others very, very unhappy. What, what would it mean if this was effective? I mean, when we know that you know, the shipping of some of the goods that all of us buy on these online platforms is reliant on volumes. If, if you have a mm. large part of you know, people across the world saying, uh, what would that mean for the ability? I mean, I might want a book, but that book gets shipped maybe with other things uh, that are much more valuable and maybe need a bit more space than, than what I might have bought. It will definitely have an impact on the on way you actually receive your, your book, for example. Um, so it, for now, I don't think that it's that much of a concern, but should it continue for for more weeks, then it, it is something that's going to be quite concerning because then it means that it affects the share price, it affects the sales in which Amazon will be seen. So that will mean that they will actually have to get to a point where they actually see something and do something about it. Melita, mm. we're going to have to leave it here. But, uh, yeah, real pleasure catching up with you and I uh, want to thank you for taking time out to speak to us this evening until, until, we, until we speak again. Thank you. Bye.
Melissa Ngalongulu, a market analyst, uh, joining us there to make sense of uh, the latest in the marketplace. You might want to comment on that too. Do uh, share with us uh, some of your voice notes and uh, we'll certainly get some of your views on that. Are you going to boycott some of these online retailers or uh, I guess uh, willing to listen to a message especially around Black Friday? Do let us know.